Hey folks, welcome to Off Camera. Before we get started, I want to tell you about this week's sponsor, Buffy. Are you dreaming of a comfier sleep? Meet Buffy, the makers of super soft, earth-friendly bedding. Because a comfy night's sleep is even comfier when it doesn't harm the environment. Buffy brings you everything you need for sleep, from cult favorite comforters to pillows and sheets, to turn your bed into a calming comfort zone. All of their products are made with recycled fibers and cool-to-the-touch eucalyptus fabric that's softer and more breathable than cotton to keep you at an ideal sleeping temperature all night long. And eucalyptus fiber isn't just softer than cotton. It's also more earth-friendly. It's sourced from renewable forests, consumes 10 times less water to grow, and is transformed into ultra-smooth fiber through a waste-free production process. All of Buffy's products are cruelty-free and hypoallergenic. No down feathers or animal products here. And customers love Buffy. Their products have over 17,000 five-star reviews, plus an overall average rating of 4.5 stars. Believe the hype. Best of all, Buffy offers a free trial, free shipping, and free returns every day. You can try their products in your own bed for free before you commit to buying. And if you don't love it, return it at no cost. So what are you waiting for? Give Buffy a try. And best of all, for our listeners, you can take $20 off of your purchase with the code CAMERA. So go to Buffy.co, that's Buffy.co, and check out everything they have to offer. And when you go to purchase their products, you can take $20 off by typing the code CAMERA into checkout. All right, let's get started with the show. Hey folks, Sam Jones here. Welcome to another edition of Off Camera, the show where I get to talk to iconic, creative, curious artists and find out how they got that way. And in this episode, I sit down with comedian and actor Adam Devine. When Adam Devine was in fourth grade, a bully turned the entire class against him, and it took the school play for his social prospects to start looking up. One great scene from Adam made the entire audience laugh, and after the play, he was greeted by praise. As he tells it, from that moment on, I realized that no matter what was happening in my life, I could be good at acting, and that could be my thing. The following year, Adam suffered a near-fatal collision with a cement truck, which broke most of the bones in his body. While relearning how to walk, he had plenty of time to himself to watch TV, movies, and old SNL clips. He began writing his own sketches and regularly calling in to the local radio station, often impersonating his idol Chris Farley. By the time he recovered from the accident, Adam had taught himself how to write and had developed his instincts for comedy. When college came around, Adam moved to California instead of going to state school in his hometown of Omaha, Nebraska. It ended up being the right choice because he met like-minded creative friends, Kyle Nuacek and Blake Anderson. They began writing and producing sketches together, and they eventually created the hit series Workaholics. Between acting, writing, and stand-up, Adam truly does it all. For example, you can find him right now on Netflix in his stand-up special Best Time of Our Lives, or find him on HBO in The Righteous Gemstones, or in theaters in his new film, Jexy. Adam joins off-camera to talk about the value of relentlessness, practicing stand-up in front of an imaginary audience, and why a slap in the face might do you some good. So pull up a chair and listen in. Hey, Adam. Hey, Sam. What's up? Thanks for doing this. Yeah, yeah. No sweat, man. Let's jump right in. Um, when, when did Maroon 5 start? Sam, uh, okay, you know what? This was fun. Thank you. Um, I think they started in like 04 or something, 04. I think is when they started. Uh, uh, you I know, did. I mentioned that because you did you do that in your stand-up special, yeah. and I'm curious if that ever has happened in real life. Yeah, especially when like Workaholics just started, because my co-star in Workaholics is Blake Anderson, and his co-star on The Voice was Blake Shelton, so I was nice. getting a lot of like people mistaking... Adam Levine for Adam Devine and tagging me and then just writing Adam Devine and Blake are so cute together. Oh my God, they're the best together. Oh my God, they're incredible because I think we aired the same night as The Voice. Right. And so I was going like... People love that. I'm like, me and Blake are true sex symbols. <laughs> <laughs> like, people think we're really cute together. And then poor Anders... He's calling yeah, going, he, Yeah, he's hell? going like, no one likes me, I guess. Well, you know, we were talking right before we went on here about when we met, and uh, I photographed the movie poster for Mike and Dave Wedding Dates, yep. which you were in with uh, Anna Kendrick, Aubrey Plaza, and Zac Efron. And then finding out more about you later, 
finding out how much you've created and written and all that stuff. And and for people who don't know, you created Workaholics, which yeah came out of um, mail order comedy, mm-hmm. which was how did that start? That was like a um, uh, YouTube MySpace self published channel. Yeah, it was like we we. We all met when we were like 18 years old. I met Blake and uh, Kyle, our director, Kyle Nuichek, in community college out here in Orange County, California. Right. And then I moved out to L.A. to start really pursuing comedy and met Durs at the Second City. And then we just started making, it was like right when YouTube was coming out. So like we were making like QuickTime files and like sending it to people and people would have to download and no one was watching our stuff because it took 20 minutes to watch like a three minute video. And so as soon, I remember we had a buddy that worked with the Lonely Island and they were like, my buddies are gonna be on SNL. Here, watch this video. And we were like, one, we were like, oh cool, these guys are going to be on SNL, that's awesome. But more importantly, what is YouTube? And we saw that video and we were like, oh my God, we could just put our stuff up and people can watch it immediately. And so then we started doing that, and then uh, and then like two years later, they started knocking on our door for Workaholics. Well, I want to get all into that, but it made me curious if in your head, in your sort of the way you approach projects, are you a writer first or a comedian first or an actor first? Like, do you know what I mean? What do you, what do you think you most identify with? I always wanted to be an actor. Like, I wanted to be... Even before a comedian? Yes. Okay. But always a comedic actor. Like, the people that I really identified with were, like, Will Ferrell and Ben Stiller and Sandler and guys that... And Jim Carrey and guys that, uh, that I felt like really were not just, like, a hired gun, were, like had a, a creative stake in the project and we're, we're behind the scenes doing a lot of stuff. Right. And then once it started to actually happen for me, I, I, I tried to lean into it as hard as I could. I think when you come from creating your own stuff and then have, and making your own opportunities, that is a different personality type than somebody who comes up like, I want to be an actor, and the way to be an actor is to be the best auditioner and to get the most experience and, and, to be and get hired. hot as fuck. Yeah. Like, like that's what I appreciate about comics so much is like, we're all, none of us are that hot, you know what I mean? But especially like stand-up comics and what what I appreciated about what I appreciate so much about them is, uh, they had to start in open mics. No matter who you are, you have to start doing open mics. You have to like go to coffee shops and Chinese restaurants and bowling alleys, and do these really shitty shows in front of nobody uh, and you will end up getting into like some random bar fight like things will happen no matter who you are even the biggest comics in the world had to start there and then so everybody has these war stories every comic and so then when they finally get to a place where they're, they're like doing theaters and they're doing Netflix specials you're able to sit back and go like you have more of appreciation for it when I feel like sometimes not all the time sometimes actors struggle a lot and sure. and have their war stories too but every once in a while like someone's just, just hot out. yeah they're just hot as fuck Chris Hemsworth and then they just I don't know his story necessarily but <laughs> <laughs> no shots fired Chris I'd love to work with you <laughs> but uh, but I feel like sometimes you can just like luck into it and and someone's like you and you're like who me and they're like, yes, you. You're the next big actor. And they're like, okay. And right. they're good enough and right. they're good looking enough and it, and it just works. So I appreciate that about comedic actors and, and stand-up comedians because they, they did have to go through the ringer a little bit. It brings up a natural follow-up question, which is who's the hottest comic ever that started in stand-up? The hottest comic Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, maybe it might have been like 2001 Dane Cook. I feel like he oh, really? might have been like... <laughs> he might have been now like, you're revealing way too much about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, that tank top got me going. Uh, but where is, he, where is he now? Right? Maybe he rode his hotness a little too hard. Yeah, he, he might have rode the hotness too hard. Yeah. I'm trying to ride my level of hotness just the right amount where like if you squint you're like oh he's kind of a good looking guy <laughs> but then if you use your full eyes you're like oh he's 
he belongs in comedy. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the conversation I planned to have with it's, you, by No, the way. I'm going right down my playbook, Sam. <laughs> this is working out perfect for me. Okay, well, let's, let's switch gears for a minute because I just saw, I just saw Jexy, which is your new film. Mm-hmm. And this is a film about a guy who's totally addicted to his phone. Yep. And it's kind of fascinating how, for as outlandish as the plot is, there's a real undercurrent of, like, darkness to it. Yeah, for sure. And I, when I read the script the first time, I was... I, I just didn't want to do, like, a, a total satire, you know? I wanted it to f- be, be a little grounded and feel like it's happening now. Yeah. Because... That is that is what's happening now. Like you, I look at my phone all the time, even after I didn't really notice it until after I had done the movie, and then now they start to give you updates of how much you're using your phone. Right. That might Screen might have time. been the worst thing that Apple has ever done. Uh, that's surprising, isn't it? That they're like trying to shame well, I you. Think a little they bit. know that they've ruined society, and they're like, okay, we gotta, <laughs> we have to do our part. So in like twenty, when twenty years, when we truly know that it's just like. They already know. Melted our brain. Yeah, they already yeah. know that they melted our then brain. Then they go, well, well, we did the screen time thing. We already did that. We showed you the one time. <laughs> I felt so, I just got it the, like yesterday, I think, and it was down like 30% for whatever reason. And I'm like, look at you go. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, have, what have you been doing? Reading books? Haven't. Where, but, where are we as a society now where yeah. we're like, we're proud of ourselves for looking at our screen 30% mm-hmm. less? Mm-hmm. No, but did it make you sort of think about it a little bit or not really? It honestly did. And also just in the way like the premise of the movie is I'm addicted to my phone, but AI in my phone is corrupted and my AI falls in love with me. Right. And is like sort of a scornful, jealous ex-girlfriend. Yes. And I've never been scared that my phone is like listening to me or things like that and then like through the movie I'm like oh it has a lot to do with like your phone's always watching and always listening right and they say that it's just the algorithms are so good that it knows what you're thinking and what you're looking at but I've had and I'm sure you've everyone has had moments where you're talking about something and then you look at Instagram and there's a sponsored ad for that exact thing that you're talking about and you're like there's no way it's There's no fucking way that yeah. they just algorithm did that. No, they're just listening. They're for sure listening. They're like, send him another Kentucky Fried yeah. Chicken thing. And they're just, yeah. And <laughs> he needs to know about this Popeye sandwich even more than he already knows about this Popeye sandwich. <laughs> so Rose Byrne was the voice mm-hmm. on the phone, right? What I was curious about was, was she on set every day off camera talking to you? No, that would have been fantastic. Yeah, I, I would think the biggest challenge would be how many scenes you have to do with just the phone. It was crazy. So was how, crazy. how did that process work? It was like a real acting exercise for me. It felt like I was like back in like drama class. Because so she recorded all of her lines way after and was the gone fact. separately. No, oh, she, after, the, after fact. the fact. So I had. Uh, a woman who was very nice and uh, very sweet. She was talking in, I had a little earwig okay. in my ear and she was saying her lines to me and I'm acting opposite her, but it was like, it was just really hard to, cause half the time it wouldn't work. So half the time I just like take it out and just like do my half of my scenes and then just react as if she's saying stuff. Really? It was bizarre. The crazy part is like when you're doing like comedies, uh, the crew will laugh, you know, and you're going like, okay, the scene's kind of working, it, you know, and this, only I had the earwig in and like no other, like the camera guys, they don't know They're just what like, the hell she's, talking talking yeah, about. yeah. And I should say that she has a lot of the funny lines and you're the straight man. Yeah. It was cool because I'm used to playing like the maniac wild man in, in a lot of things that I've done. So it was kind of fun to play. A, a straighter version of myself. When you say that it was like the acting school, what do you mean? Like, what, like, were there exercises that seemed that awkward and everything? Yes. Like, I remember being scared. My first acting class I took in like seventh grade or something, 
like she made us all like turn into birds and like walk around like we were like little birds. Yeah. Because acting teachers, especially like at that level, are weirdos, you know? <laughs> like they make these kids do the weirdest things. And it's to get you out of your shell and so you, you don't sure. feel self-conscious. But it felt like that. It felt like the whole movie was just like a eighth grade acting technique where I'm just having to have a one-sided conversation. But it was fun. It was like, it took a... it. It took a few days to like really kind of figure it out, and then I, I ended up having a great time with it. So when's the moment where the insecurity hits for you? Is it is it during the prep or is it? I I always find that I always find I'm I'm most insecure after a scene that I feel like I didn't crush. Like if I did it and I'm on my way home, and then you're thinking of all the ways you could have made it better or you could have committed harder or you could have, or you think of a really funny improv line that you should have said. And that's when I'm always like, what are you doing? And then the next day I try to go in even more prepared. And sometimes that, sometimes it's just being in the moment and being in the right headspace. And like, that, that's all acting is, is like truly being right here and reacting and listening and sometimes you're just, you know, sometimes you're not as good as other days. Right. You know, what I hear you saying is that you're sort of caught in that space between being a writer and being an actor. Because I've heard that the best improvers are writers. They're just, they just write in real time. Sure. And I think it's almost counterintuitive to think that to be right in the present and listening is the best way to be an actor but also in your head to be trying to like find you know to find the well, the moment a, and they they say like like one of the in in improv school they teach you not to think how do you that's teach just, someone not to think yeah it's hard that's yeah. why that's why it's hard to be good at at improv and i'm not even like there's improvers that are infinitely better than me but like it's just do you consider yourself an improv actor like do you, do you feel like comfortable when you're around other other improv actors yeah, that are Yeah i feel for comfortable it? in that space i'm not like a i i can't go on stage like a lot of people can and like I never did like long form improv, right? So I like the I, games, like yeah, UCB. Yeah, I can't like go on stage and do like an hour long improv show. I mean, I could, but people would go like, "Oh, he's not very good at that." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I guess but anyone I feel could. Yeah, you right? can. Yeah, sure. you could just stand up there and go like, "Duh, <laughs> where are you from? Oklahoma. I'm working in a shovel factory in Oklahoma," <laughs> and people would go like, "A shovel factory." That's, do those exist? I, I'm getting the sense now that, yeah, 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 that long form be, improv is no. not for you. And that was short form, Sam. Uh, I just said well, shovel factory. I felt like there was, you know, there was a there was avenue yeah, there for yeah, a big story, going, yeah, but it, was, it wasn't going to be that good. You know what? That's a movie. The I shovel go. factory. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but that's interesting. It's interesting to to sort of, you know, because I know that there are times when you've written for yourself. Mm-hmm. So is that sort of a different hat than when you go into something that someone else wrote? Yeah, it's, I, we kind of lucked out uh, with Workaholics, and, like, that's kind of how I we came into the business and how I came into the business in a real way, wearing all those hats. Because then now when I go to do something that I don't have to be the producer and the writer... It's so free, and you're like, oh, I have all the time in the world to, like, do anything. And I think if I just was an actor who didn't create Workaholics, I might not have those same opportunities. And I think, like, I'm given a little rope uh, because I created Workaholics, and they go, like, oh, he knows knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. Whether I do or not. Hey folks, let's take another little break from the conversation to tell you about one of this week's sponsors, Acuity Scheduling, a Squarespace company. So what is Acuity? Well, meet the scheduling assistant that works 24-7 behind the scenes to fill your calendar and that takes hours of work off your plate. From the moment clients book with you, Acuity is there to automatically send booking confirmations with your brand and messaging, deliver text reminders, let clients reschedule on their own, and process payments so your day-to-day runs smoother even as business gets busier. All you need to do is show up at the right time. 
Now, let me just pop in here for a minute and tell you that we are living in the golden age for the small business person. And I gotta say, I'm a little bit envious because when I started my business way back when, and I was a struggling young photographer and director, there was nothing online, no apps, nothing to help you kind of organize your business. And when I look into Acuity and what they can do, it's an amazing thing. And I kind of feel like I'm the old guy telling people, you know, how I used to walk to school in the snow with gravel in my lunchbox and everything. But it's true. When you're starting a business now, if you have Acuity scheduling, it's a game changer. You know, with Acuity, you never have to ask what time works for you again, because clients can quickly view your real-time availability and self-book their own appointments. They can even pay online. With the ability to manage multiple locations and employees, class bookings, private sessions, add-on sales, and even recurring subscriptions, Acuity can adapt to any business. You can keep your clients prompt with text and email reminders, and you can dramatically reduce appointment no-shows with deposits or full upfront payments. Acuity is also great for data accumulation and storage. You can collect everything you need to know about a client as soon as they book by asking clients to fill out intake forms when scheduling. That way you can keep all of their information neat and tidy in one place. And you get notified anytime a new appointment is booked. You can even tell Acuity to automatically update the calendars you already use, like Google, Outlook, iCloud, or Office 365. You can keep your entire life in sync with Acuity Scheduling. So save yourself from the day-to-day drudgery of having to keep up with your clients and your busy schedule by using Acuity Scheduling. And for listeners of this show, for a limited time, you can get 45 days of Acuity Scheduling absolutely free with no credit card required by going to acuityscheduling.com camera. So that's 45 days absolutely free by going to acuityscheduling.com camera. So there's no reason to wait. You should check it out and see what Acuity can do for you. Now back to the show. Speaking of workaholics, that was what, seven years it was on Comedy Central? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the stunted adolescent, the man child, the, you know, sort of like the home base for that kind of behavior and that kind of acting. And it's funny, I told someone, one of my friends I ride motorcycles with that you were coming on. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, that dude, he's so, you know, like, He's a brosif, you know, he's, you know, but, but your show's kind of a thinking show. And I'm like, no, th- those are characters he plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you're like, I hope he can think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is he not going to be able to think? No, but I wonder if being so good at workaholics, sort of creating that genre and creating that sort of whole vibe, if it was ever an issue for you of typecasting or fan expectations, and, and if you've sort of had to battle your own success at that. Yeah, to an extent, I think... I, I was typecast as, like, just the, a bro little guy. Right, right. You know? But luckily, I, like, like Modern Family, like, I was just a sweetheart on that show, which Steve Levitan just somehow saw that in me and cast me no, when all he knew was Workaholics and, and Pitch Perfect, where both of those characters are pretty bro-tacular. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that helped. But for those first, like, handful of years where Workaholics was where everyone knew me from. People would come up and meet me and expected me to like immediately chug a bottle of Jose Cuervo or something, you know? <laughs> like, they're like, chug this. I'm like, I'm not gonna chug. <laughs> no, what are you talking about? Uh, so I think that I, there's definitely a handful of like bros at, on the LSU campus where we shot Pitch Perfect that are like, you didn't even chug that bottle like we wanted him to. He's a total fraud. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> it's like he was acting or something. <laughs> it makes me wonder, like, who the career blueprint is for you. Like, is there somebody that stands out for you where you're like, that's the career I want, like the freedom to go from one genre to the next? Or Yeah, like in a perfect world, it would be like Tom Hanks. Like, because Tom Hanks is, like, the everyman that can do anything. Yeah. Like, people would be so excited if Tom Hanks just did a really funny comedy. But then also he can, like, go win Academy Awards. You know, who knows? But I also, like, Robin Williams, I really loved his career because he he was more, like, in my path where he's a stand-up comic. He was, like, known for playing, like, big, crazy, fun characters. And then as he got older, he was able to segue uh, into, like, much more dramatic work. Right. And right. also direct and, and write stuff. Uh, you know whose uh, career I like have always really looked up to and it's cool that I get to work with him now is John Goodman. Like John, I mean, before I got the show, I was... On, I was, on The Righteous Gemstones. On The Righteous Gemstones. On HBO, which is your new show. That's right. Uh, 
I was telling my friend, I'm like, he, this is before I got the show, I'm like, he's had the best career. Like, he got to do movies, he got to uh, be a huge sitcom star, and then as he got a little older, he segued into more character-y parts that he just got to crush in, like, really cool movie, like, Coen Brother movies. It's like, he's truly got to do everything an actor wants to do. Yeah. Well, I'm surprised because I knew you from Workaholics and then I knew you did stand-up. So it's interesting to me to hear that in seventh grade you were taking acting classes. So I, I want to know a little bit more about that. Like, how old were you when you realized, oh, I love performing. I like, I like that feeling of disappearing into characters, whatever. Well, I kind of always, like, had that bug for whatever reason. I remember in fourth grade I was... Like bullied a lot in the fourth grade for whatever reason. Did you have one particular bully, or was Brian, it like a bunch? Brian. Brian Swanson. Hello. It's funny. My aunt like Brian works with Swanson. him now. Really? My aunt works with him, and she goes at the at uh, last Thanksgiving at the ninety nine cent store. Or? No, like at like the public schools or something. Okay. And uh, you might have to bleep his last name. I don't want to get him in trouble. No, I want to. I want to okay. call him out. Okay, no. good. Brian Swanson. And uh, this episode sponsored by Brian Swanson. (laughs) Uh, My aunt is like, uh, like last Thanksgiving, she calls me over and is like, Adam, can I talk to you? And I'm like, yeah, what's up? And she goes, I didn't know you were a bully. And I go, what? And she goes, you bullied of someone I work with. And I'm like, who? Like, I didn't know I was a bully either. And she goes, Brian Swanson. I'm like, he was my bully. (laughs) I didn't bully him. He bullied me. And uh, so he might think that I'm his bully, but... I think he's trying to steal the narrative. Yeah, be like, th- yeah he's trying to twist it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, I remember I did something where he, like, turned the, the class against me. He, like, said, I know what you did, and then, like, spread some rumor that I still don't even know what he said that I did. And then everyone's like, we're not friends with you anymore. In the fourth grade. Like, some true little kid stuff. But I feel like that's the age when people start to, like figure out if who's popular, who's not popular. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, I'm in the wrong, <laughs> I'm on the not popular side. I can't be on that side. And I remember I, we did a play and I like had it like a great scene in this little kid's fourth grade play and everybody laughed and the parents were all like, oh, so, so great. And the girl that I really liked, Shannon Toma, she came up to me afterwards and she was like, that was really good, Adam. And like from that moment on, I was like, oh, like this is a way that like no matter what's happening in your life, you can be good at this thing and, and you can, that can be a th- your thing that you're good at. So you had a lesson in fourth grade of I, I can do something to change perceptions of me. You know, me. that's weird. I never like put those things together. Like I'm, I'm finding those connections like right now talking with you. That's kind of amazing. Yeah. Because I did it all for you, Shannon. <laughs> Shannon works with your uncle now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Your uncle's like, I got to talk to you about something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can you quit dropping Shannon's name? <laughs> She's married with a family. <laughs> Um, that's interesting because, I, you know, fourth grade was a tough year for me, too. That was about my bullied time as well. That's uh, right in the sweet spot. It is because the kids that are a little older are starting to get bigger, and there starts to be a division physically, Brian too. failed a grade, so he was a year older. Right. He was five foot six. He was a monster. Oh, yeah, so he's terrifying. Yeah, yeah and I'm three foot two at this point, so <laughs> I'm toddler size. I'm like the size of, like, a, a five-year-old. Well, so I learned something about you that I didn't know. You were in a bad accident mm-hmm. right right around that time, what, maybe a year or two? Yeah. Maybe fifth uh, grade, sixth grade, something like fifth that? Fifth going into sixth. So just kind of walk me through that. Yeah, so I was uh, hit by a cement truck when I was 11, and so I, um, I was going to get candy at the convenience store, and my friend was across the street, and he yells, come on as like the, I thought, I took it as like the coast is clear, but he meant like, I'm a child. Come on, let's go get this candy. And I grew up in the suburbs where like three symmetrics growing up the hill and two were coming down because new houses were being built everywhere. Right. And the third symmetric goes up the hill, he yells, come on, I'm on the other side of the street and the other two are coming down so I can't see the other side of the street. This is all I care to say, by the way. I don't remember any of this. You don't. So this is like, 
I, it could have just been me going like, oh, there's a cement truck, like, you know, but I don't think, I don't think that's what happened. And so I walked out and I got hit and taken under the wheels and spit out and just like mangled. I broke everything, everything except my right femur from the waist down and then uh, crushed my legs from the knees down and took all the skin off, like uh, broke my ribs, punctured lungs. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And were you in a coma? Or? Yeah, I was in a medically induced coma for two weeks and then uh, was in the hospital for like a month and a half, something like that, and then had like 26 or 27 surgeries over the next couple of years. You're kidding me. Mm-mm. So you were in and out of hospitals for two and a half years? Yeah. And not walking? Well, like it was like by like halfway through seventh grade, I was walking, but then I needed another surgery, so I'm back in a wheelchair. And then, but then in eighth grade, I played football. Like I, I bounced back and really, yeah, I was bad. I was a really bad football player <laughs> because my mom was like, not only did I wear all the pads that they make you wear in football, my mom made me wear arm guards. My arms weren't hurt. Nothing, she was like, that's the she, last yeah, untouched <laughs> part of his body. Like, you're not breaking your arms. <laughs> so I'm wearing arm guards. I'm wearing shin guards. I'm wearing, like, I'm fully padded up. I have to say, I'm astonished your mom let you play football after that. Because yeah. have you ever spoken to your parents about their, yeah. what they went through? Mm-hmm. Like, how did they find out? Yeah, they, uh, my mom was at the zoo, weirdly, with both of my godmothers, which, like, doesn't happen that often in my family that both of my godmothers are with my mom. So I don't know if it's- They're like godmother meeting at the monkey cage. Yes, yes, exactly. We must talk about the children. (laughs) And uh, she, it was before cell phones. Yeah. And so she got, uh, there was a little note at the concession stand. She goes like to get a drink and and the way she tells it, like my mom believes a lot in like, God and like angels and stuff. And so she says that she like felt something, got goosebumps, says she needs a drink and then she feels lightheaded, goes over to the concession stand and there's a little three by five note card that says, Penny Divine, please call this number. And so she's like, oh, that's me. And then they called and found out that I was in the hospital. And then, oh my gosh. And then my dad was working nights. He works for the railroad and, or worked. He just retired last year. Good job, Dennis. And he, uh, he was at home sleeping. He was working a night shift and he, the phone rang. He let it go to the, the voice machine when voice machines used to be in your house and, yeah. and you could hear them. But someone's like, your son has been hit by a cement truck on, on these cross streets. And my dad woke up sprinted out the house. My neighbors were sitting, they always sat on their front porch, said that they saw my dad run out in his underwear, no shoes, no shirt, no pants, and start to sprint down the street and then gets half a block away and then turns around, runs back to the house and comes out like two minutes later wearing clothes. (laughs) And he like, he just starts running and then he's like, I'm not gonna, it'd be quicker to just put on clothes and (laughs) drive. (laughs) Gosh. I mean, uh, you laugh now, but he must have just been terrified. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I'm at, oh, yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine. So tell me about what happens to the brain when you're spending that much time alone recovering and the rest of the world is out doing their thing. Like, well, I, how did it change you? I could have been like a doctor or something with that amount of downtime that I could just like really hone in on one thing. I could have been like a little boy genius, like Doogie Howser style. <laughs> but instead, I just... Uh, watched a lot of movies and a lot of TV and all the old Chris Farley SNL clips. And like, I became like obsessed with comedy, which I knew was a thing that I was good at and how I could make friends and and that kind of thing. And then I think like having all that time, I just, I I would just like write in notebooks, write down. I would like, I was like a little psychopath. I was, since I wasn't talking to a lot of people, I was writing down possible conversations that could happen in notebooks. Really? Yeah. Like, what, what's an example of an entry? It'd be like if a bully's at school making fun of my legs or being in a wheelchair, I would write down, like, quips. Like, things to, like, come back at him if he's making fun of me. Or, like, cool things to, like, say to a girl if... if <laughs> I mean, truly bizarre stuff. And then I was also, like, 
uh, writing like characters that I could do and like, and then during that time, I, I actually- I feel so bad for 11 year old you sitting there. Like, <laughs> I know. Because, because you have this experience in fourth grade, you have a bully, you, the school turns against you. It actually got a lot better. My family moved from Waterloo, Iowa to Omaha, Nebraska. Before, After the accident. Before the accident. Oh, before the accident. And okay. then new school, fifth grade, go through half, I moved halfway through fifth grade start the second half, fifth grade, made a bunch of new friends, it's, it's going great. Even though my mom made me dress, I'm going to a public school for the first time, I went to a Catholic elementary school before that, my mom made me dress in a turtleneck and navy, navy like dress slacks uh, with my shirt tucked in. And so immediately every kid who's just wearing like Looney Tunes t-shirts and No Fear and Mossimo shirts are like, what are you? <laughs> And I was like, I was like, I just made new friends. Like, and now I have to start all, and we're going to a new school, like going into sixth grade, you go to middle school. Yeah. And so like, there's gonna be all these kids I don't know. And like, and it actually like kind of went the opposite of what I thought it was gonna go because they made it a big deal that I was hit by the cement truck. And so like, there was like an announcement before I came in school about like, being nice to me, I, I suppose, and like welcoming they me. They gathered to, the school together. Yeah. Nobody no, do no, fake <laughs> limps around here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I broke my leg the summer of eighth grade going into high school, and I was on crutches on day one of high school. Oh, yeah. And I fell down the stairs first day, like trying to crutch down with a backpack on my oh, lunch, yeah. and I was just like, I'm not going back. Like, <laughs> this is the worst way to start high school ever. I, I leaned into my, my gimpness. You did? Oh, yeah. I got so good at pratfalls with backpack, with holding a tray, with my crutches. I was like, I was a pro at it. I could fall downstairs all day. I would fall down like a 15 stair stairwell. And, and what was and the intended just result? Chuckles. Just, just. <laughs> at that point, I'm just going to embrace being a clown. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm Limpy the Clown. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, so... You got this notebook, you're writing down possible quips for the bullies, but you're also writing characters and sketches. Like, did you teach yourself to write, do you think, during that time too? Yeah, at least writing for myself. Like, I had a, you know, different, like writing for TV and writing movies are different skill sets than, than writing characters and writing sketches. Sure. For sure. But during that time, I started to call into the local radio station and I would do like characters and voices and uh, it actually like ended up becoming like kind of successful bit on the radio station. So they would play the calls. Yeah, yeah, and they uh, they called me in. I only talked to them like in character. Like what kind of character? I would do a lot of, it was a lot of Chris Farley. Okay. Like me doing like Chris Farley and then like doing uh, like a stoner guy, like pretty rudimentary characters but like they're funny for like a kid, yeah, and uh, and doing like a valley girl named Becky, and uh, and I call in every day to the radio station, and they called me down, and they're like, hey man, we want you to be part of the drive time hour, like come down, you like we'll pay you, like and you show up, you're three foot two, and they're like, yeah. oh, it's, it's like my mom pu- pushed me in, really, I'm in a wheelchair, and she pushes me into the the studio, and they're like, we didn't know you were a crippled child. <laughs> We thought you were like a 20-year-old guy or something. And they're like, we can't, we cannot hire you. Like, you have to go to school, <laughs> which I totally understood. But actually, it worked out because then they are like, we will pay you in CDs and any tickets that we get, ticket giveaway, we'll just give you tickets. So, like, any concert that came through town, like, I had tickets. So, like, wow. I was always taking my friends to shows. So, and I'm so like, that hey, was like, let's go to the show. We will have to sit in the handicap section. <laughs> but <laughs> Hey, folks, let's take a little break from the conversation and hear from one of our sponsors this week, Keeps. You know, two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35. And as a person with a full head of luxurious hair, I really feel for those guys. And sure, I've been in a room with a bunch of guys who are having some trouble with hair loss, and I feel a little like an outcast. I feel stared at. I feel like they're passively, aggressively giving me the cold shoulder. So I'm all for products that help with male pattern baldness. But there's good news for those guys and good news for me. Because with today's advancements in science, 
Keeps offers proven treatments that can combat the symptoms of hair loss. Keeps has revolutionized the way men are treated for hair loss. You used to have to go to the doctor's office for your hair loss prescription. Now, thanks to Keeps, you can visit a doctor online and get medication delivered to your home. No more waiting rooms and no more pharmacy checkout lines. You can get doctor attention and discreet drug delivery, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. Prevention is key. Keeps treatments really work. They're up to 90% effective at reducing and stopping further hair loss. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save. So act fast. Many men even experience hair regrowth with Keeps treatments. Find out why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors. And nearly 100,000 men trust Keeps for their hair loss prevention medication. Keeps treatments start at just $10 a month. Plus, for a limited time, you can get your first month free. So if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash off-camera to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash off-camera. Now back to the show. So how did you end up in Los Angeles or moving out to California? Because I read that you got into UCLA, mm-hmm. but then didn't go. Well, we didn't have a lot of money, so I, d- I didn't want to go into debt. And then I, the plan was to go to uh, community college right. in OCC, Orange Coast Community College. And in that time, I met Blake and Kyle day one of improv class in community college, who I created Workaholics with. And was, was at that point, was stand-up on your radar as well? Yeah. When I was hurt, my dad like loved stand-up comedy, so we watched a lot of A&E's uh, Evening at the Improv. So I like loved comedy, and uh, and so when I moved to LA, I immediately went to the Improv and asked for a job, and, and they're like, "We don't have any. There's no positions." Like and, doorman or whatever. Yeah, just, I was like, "I'll do anything here. I just want to work at the Hollywood Improv." Because uh, I don't know if people know this, but the Improv is like the epicenter of stand-up comedy. It's like sort of the birthplace of modern-day stand-up comedy. So I was like, this is where I want to work. I've read enough books about it. I like, was a huge Andy Kaufman fan and know that that was his place. And they were like, there's no jobs. And I came back every day for a month. Every day. You did? Yeah. And was like, is there jobs? Until finally, I, I just wore them down. They were like, all right. So that's not hyperbole. You would show up every day. They'd say, yeah. get out of here. And yeah. you just show up the next day. I had nothing to do. I was handing out uh, flyers for like movie passes. You know those annoying people like yes. at the malls and stuff. They're like, "Hey, you want to see a movie?" And they, you know, I think I turned you down a couple. Yeah, times. you must have. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone did. I was pretty bad at it. Uh, and so I was doing that. So I didn't have anything to do. So I was always just always wander over there and be like, "Here again." So what happened after a month? Then they finally uh, gave me a job. They let me work in the ticket booth, and they're like, "Okay, you can be here during the day and answer phones." So then it was me all alone at the improv every day, and I just sat there answering phones. And I would like, this is like embarrassing, but I would like turn the volume all the way up on the phone, and then go on stage and stand there and act like it's a packed crowd, and like. <laughs> And, like, just practice, like, taking the mic out of the mic stand and, like, putting it back and, like, moving the stool and, like, just the mechanics of... So, like, when I would do stand-up, I wouldn't be like, just, ah, this thing, ah. God, you know, there's such a parallel to me to you sitting in your room by yourself and, like, working out what you might say to somebody. (laughs) And then you're at the improv and you're working out if if there's ever an audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what I'll do. And... And then if the phone would ring, you'd run off stage. I would have to run because it was like, it wasn't that close. You had to like sprint down the hall. Right. And a Did lot you ever of get t- caught up on stage? Yes. Well, Jesus, the guy that would clean during the day, was a sweetheart of a man, would see me every time and would be like, <laughs> he like knew that it was hilarious. He didn't I'm, speak English, but. No, no. <laughs> we didn't. There wasn't a lot of communication we'd have other than me going, you good? Okay. All right. So when did you get your first like slot at the improv or did you ever while you worked there I did yeah uh, I started to do like the open mics there and it it went pretty well pretty quickly but do you remember your first sort of joke that really like played and you're like oh I can do this I did like a whole bit about like growing up catholic and uh, I, it was something to 
something about um, Nabisco Christ Crackers, where in, it, like you could go to the store and get oh the the, like, the uh, wafers, communion yeah, the communion wafers. It, it it went okay, honestly. It was like it was fine, but it was uh, I started to like do well at the open mics and my manager Rita was like peeps she talks like this she's like bring a change of clothes next time you're on the door and so I did I started bringing a change of clothes and one day somebody didn't show up and they threw me on stage and I like did five minutes and and it went okay like I didn't suck but I wasn't great also you know that's what's cool about stand-up is you definitely no one comes out the gate like even Chappelle like he'll tell you like he wasn't awesome at 13 14 whenever he started like it, you have to yeah put in the work yeah. and get better well so when you started doing that did you pay that much attention to when you bombed or when you did well or like did you pay attention to it emotionally or did you just use it as research like in other words were you so committed to being good that you didn't worry about yeah and i think it may have affected me and my feelings more if I hadn't worked at the improv because I was surrounded by comics all the time because after I clocked out at six, I didn't go home. I sat there. Right. And so I hung out with the comics. All. I was there for like 18 hours a day. I was just there all the time. Did anyone take you under their wing? Not not like real because it was like there was a separation. I wasn't like a real comic yet. I was like the kid at the door. But everyone was like sweet to me. Like Sarah Silverman was sweet to me. Uh, there, there was a bunch of people. Nick Swartzen was always really cool to me. And just, like, hearing them talk about, like, how you absolutely, like, like seeing, like, I saw Chris Rockbomb. I saw Chris Rockbomb at the improv. Yeah. He was, like, trying out new jokes, and it just, like, wasn't clicking. And, and I'm like, oh, if he can bomb, like, I sure as hell can bomb. Yeah. Like, it's A-OK. You just have to keep getting up. Right. Mm-hmm. At that time, because now your comedy, it feels very improvisational. It feels very off the cuff. Mm-hmm. But it's so intricate, and there's callbacks from the tangents, and it's complex. And, you know, it made me curious, like, if your process of it's writing all like that, improv, Sam. It's just no work at all. You just go up there and... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, uh, is it the kind of thing you could just sit down in a room and write, or do you have to take it out? And- no, I have to be on stage, which is like... I filmed my special last November, and I haven't really gotten back up yet, because... Uh, I've been doing a lot of acting stuff, but, uh, right. but in order to dedicate the time to, you, it, you have to do it every night. Yeah. For me, some yeah. people can like write just pages and pages of jokes and bits and then go on stage and perform them and then slowly tweak them. But I have to like go on stage and work, work the bit out. And, and then like you s- said, like you find an avenue to go down where you're like, oh, I can take this down for two minutes and then loop back around and connect that story again. Like Robin Williams was like the king of just going down this path this and then coming thing. this way and then coming yeah. this way and then going that way. And to me, it just seemed like it, like watching him and like he's just pouring sweat and you could see he's up there working and you see like, it seems like his brain's going 100 miles an hour. But once you pull back the curtain, you know that in your head, you're go, you're, you know all the paths you're taking. And I also think like an audience can tell when you're not putting on airs, when you're being your true self up there and you're, uh, you're speaking truth because the, the audience can just smell falsehood. It's weird how they can. Like anytime I've ever tried to like, like I went through a period in my like early 20s where like I'm, I'm doing stand-up and and I like started to like wear cool guy leather jackets because I was like, yeah, it was a, it was Dane Cook. Yeah, I'm like I'm a cool guy now. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then I look back at photos. I'm like, oh, the audience knew that I wasn't that this was a not a natural fit for me. Like, like I'm obviously I'm a goofball. And for me to be like, yeah, I'm a cool guy now. Like they they could tell. And I think like through years of doing stand up and, and realizing the jokes that really crush for me are the bits that that come from myself and you can see that in me and you see 
the type of person that I am and, and uh, the humility I think people relate to. Right, and, and, and that's sort of your job is to examine your behavior and examine the way you reacted to things, mm -hmm. stuff like that, which I'm sure is therapeutic aspects outside of just being a comedian. It's also like just super fun. It's just the most fun. Like being, like acting is, uh, is, is work. Like it's still really nice work and you get fed really nicely and, and if you look ugly, someone comes and like paints your face so you look pretty again. I love that the first thing you said about acting is that you get fed nicely. <laughs> <laughs> that was my dad, when my dad came to set for, for the first time, uh, you know, he works for the railroad and he like, he likes comedy and he likes all the Hollywood stuff, he thinks it's cool, but he, he like when he came to set for the first time, he just saw all the other like men doing work, like doing manual labor. Right. And he's like, all these guys are working for you? And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess technically. Yeah, they're working for the show. And, uh, and he's like, so this is like a real show. And I'm like, yeah. And, and then during lunch, when he's catering, he was like, you get to eat this every day? And I'm like, uh-huh. And he goes, this is a good job. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so take me back a little bit to when you're at the improv, are Blake, Durs, and yourself, are, are you guys all living together? Are you all working on stuff together yeah, at we, that time? Me and Kyle lived together. Okay. And then Durs, I had met at the Second City. The Second City, uh, which is a famous improv school. Yeah. They have a LA school and I actually, it was next door to the improv. They were like connected, they're in the same building. Oh. So they gave me half off classes. So like I took every class you can take there. I took like singing improv class. And at the time, like was there a revelation that you and your friends had of like, oh, we can just do this ourselves? Yeah, it was, uh, it was right around that time that like YouTube and stuff started to happen. Right. It was like, it was sort of the convergence of all of these different things that happened at once, where I was doing stand-up, Durs was, he was in writer's rooms uh, as like an assistant, and then Kyle was going to film school. And we were all writing together, and so uh, we started to put our stuff up on YouTube, and, and that's when it all like started to click, and that's where we started, to, we just like, we really treated it like a real job. Like we made a video a week, every week. We came out with something like like 70 or 80 videos in like a two year span. Would you write in the room together with each other or would you go off and write something and bring it back? We would come, we would like set a meeting once a week and we would come with ideas and then we would pitch on, on our ideas and then we would all like vote as to what we were gonna shoot. Oh, you did? That week. Which is how we like come up with like movie ideas still to this day. Really? Yeah. How much credence or credit do you give to the fact that you had this troupe or this like-minded set of friends that, that didn't say your idea is crazy or that never happens? Yeah, I think, uh, I think we were all just like, I think you need to have like a level of delusion to like make it in this business. Yeah. Like thinking about it now, like the chances are so slim, like so slim. I understand like why my dad was always like, okay. Yeah, when did it take for him to, to him to go, oh. It, it took me being hit by that cement truck. Like I, th I guarantee you, if I wasn't hit by that cement truck, he n would have not supported me moving to Hollywood and, and trying to chase these dreams. Really? Without a doubt. I come from like a super blue collar family. Like you don't chase your dreams, you get a job so you can support yourself and your family. Like. So for me to like move to Hollywood and like be fancy free and like follow these dreams seemed like a bizarre plan in his mind. So why do you think the cement truck accident made him let you do that rather than trying to hang on to you tighter and tell you what the world, the well, reality of the world? I think he was like, oh, he's al he almost died already. Like let him, he's not dead. He could do whatever he wants now. Really? I, yeah, that's what they've said. And supporting me, like, relearning how to walk and seeing, like, everything it took to get back to where I had to get back to, they're like, we're gonna let him do what he wants to do. Did you get some sort of extra knowledge about how short our lives are that maybe other people don't have that gear of, I'm gonna push it and I'm gonna go for this? Yeah, for sure. 
I mean, I think definitely I, I came out like guns blazing, like ready to go because I knew like you can just die. Like that is a possibility. And like to be blessed with like an able body and an able mind and an idea of what you want to do. Like a lot of young people don't know what they want to do. But I was lucky in the fact that I knew, I knew since I was like a, like a kid that this is what I wanted to do. So I was like, why waste time? Like, and, and to my mom's credit, like I almost went to school in Omaha. Oh, you uh, did? Yeah, I almost went to University of Nebraska, Omaha, because it's state like, credit. It's cheaper. It's state. Yeah. It's cheaper. Like, all my friends were going to school there. We could have gotten a house together and partied, and it would have been fun. But my mom was like, what are you doing? Move to L.A. That's what you want to do. Really? Yeah. And so, to her credit, she she pushed she pushed me out the door, crying. She was like, no. Go. Don't, though. Stay, but definitely go. But that's the parent you want, right? The parent yeah. who, who can sort of see you and, and, and not have their own agenda for how, how they think they're either going to protect you or hold on to you. or yeah. That's good parenting. You're yeah, lucky. They're, they're, they're pretty great. What was the first sign that there was going to be some success or that you were gaining some traction? Like where you're like, oh, this is actually going to work. No, it all feels like a, like just the tiniest little steps. And that's what it was. It was just honestly, it was me being, I was still working at the improv when we were making these videos. And like comics that never really talked to me would be like, oh, dude, I saw that video. That was really funny. And like they, it started to, our stuff started to get passed around like the comedy community and, and people started to like notice us. And that's when I first started to feel like, oh, we're like onto something. Did you realize that you can maybe just just bypass the traditional channels? Well, we wanted, like, our goal was, what happened, was workaholics. Right. Like, we were doing, like, true sketches, like, beginning, middle, end, telling stories, and, like, doing web series that told, like, longer stories, coming out of pocket for all of it, just for yeah. those. With the hopes that someone would see us, and it all, all kind of happened where I did comedy, I did stand-up for Comedy Central in, like, 07 or 08, maybe, and we had just done a web series that was sort of like what Workaholics became. Right. And so I think they, like, started to watch my stuff because I had just done Live at Gotham, their, like, New Faces stand-up show. And then they noticed our videos and, and reached out. It sounds like you just decided that you were going to make your luck rather than wait for your luck. Yeah, even though, like, looking back at it, it's like, yeah, what a workhorse I was. But it also was super fun. Right. So, like, right. I still was having a blast doing all this work and, like, being in the room with my guys and, like, bouncing ideas off each other and then being in the comedy clubs at night and, like, having friends there and, like, seeing them, you know, work their new material out and, like, hollering in the back of the room and then you going on stage and they're in the back of the room for you like it was still like really fun environment and and it it almost made you like work harder yeah and because you had created your own series and everything by the time you were getting asked to do things it wasn't like you were so green that you that you didn't feel like you belonged right yeah that was that was like i i talk about this a lot to the guys like thank god that we had a couple years of workaholics under our belts before like I went off and did like the pitch perfects and the right and some of those other things because then it, I like I had a steady hand I wasn't going in going like uh be funny now you know yeah, yeah. and there's still moments of that like I did the uh this Nancy Myers movie called The Intern right and Robert De Niro's in it and like as I'm and I'm been working now for like years and like just standing across from Robert De Niro like I wasn't think I wasn't being in the moment I wasn't like I was truly just in the back of my head going holy shit that's Robert De Niro right there Robert fucking De Niro look at you go Adam you and Robert De Niro and then he's done talking and then it's like my turn act now <laughs> <laughs> it's funny your, your response is look at you go it, mine might be they're gonna kick me out of here so <laughs> fast when they figure out that uh, I, I've somehow like 
so, someone's made a mistake and I'm across from Robert I, De Niro. I also feel that way a lot where like I feel like Hollywood's going to figure me out at, at some point and be I think like a lot of actors and people feel that way because it's it's uh we we live like pretty blessed awesome lives like it and to think like you're just a, like a little kid in your bedroom dreaming these dreams and then when they actually happen to you it's it's hard to feel like worthy of of what's happening sure it's hard to it's hard to quantify it and and, and say this will keep happening yeah i can keep it going or whatever i have to check myself sometimes cuz i'm always thinking like what's next year and the year after that looking like? like? Really? What can I set up for the future? And then I, every once in a while, I'll just have to check myself and go like, ah, if it all went to shit today, like, it would, I still had a good run. I wanted to ask you, if you think the accident made you grow up quicker or if it actually made you grow up slower because it made everyone around you sort of treat you more like a uh, You need fragile anything? Kid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, bitch, eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Go make me some eggs, woman. You're like, uh, yeah, oxy, right? Yeah, now. This yeah, yeah, yeah. A morphine drip now. I, uh, yeah, I think there was, uh, I, I regressed a little bit. Like, all my friends were, like, going off and, like, Drinking, a, like sharing a beer behind the, the school and like sneaking a cigarette. And I was watching Ren and Stimpy in <laughs> Rugrats. Like I truly like was just went back to like watching kid cartoons. And while they were all like doing adolescent like kid stuff, I was like fully in my own little bubble. So I think for a while uh, I like regressed into being a, a, a kid again. But then also, like, once I came, like, shook that free and came out of it, I feel like I had a good perspective on how short life is and how, like, if you have goals, you should work hard to achieve them and, yeah. and, and also take things, like, one step at a time. That's, that's, was, that's the lesson uh, because I truly had to take it one step at a time, like, relearning how to walk. Right. That was so... I remember my uh, physical therapist, my the woman that like came to my house every day and like helped me. Like I couldn't, st- I couldn't do anything, you know. So it went from like couldn't lift my head up to like lifting my head up to like, sitting up to oh, it was that yeah. And so wow. your muscles go into atrophy. So I like I was just a noodle. I couldn't do anything, and so I had to like train to like get up and moving. I remember one time. I was about to, I had to stand up on a walker and I'm shaking and like, it's just pins and needles in my legs because all the blood is finally rushing back to my legs and it just hurt so fucking bad. And I I cried and was like, I can't do this. No, I can't. And that woman smacked me in the face. Really? Hit a little boy, smacked me and was like, Yes, you can. Never say no. Never give up. Always one foot in front of the other. And I remember being like, this bitch smacked me. Like, to my mom, going like, are you going to let this stand? And my mom's like, mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, damn, they're ganging up on me. <laughs> but in hindsight, I'm like, that was like, because it shocked me out of like, yeah. You'd think someone smacking you as a kid would make you cry. It like stopped the tears. Like tears were like whoop, like back in my eyes because I was just so shocked that she did that. And then I was like from then on I'm like, yeah. We rarely as human beings get a, a just such a straight up naked lesson in yeah. and, and it I seems feel like, like if that scene was in a movie, like the studio would be like, well, this is heavy-handed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's yeah, just yeah. a little boy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she's going to smack this little boy? Get real. Come on. And then the mom's going to be like... Yeah, it's going to back it up. Yeah. Not real. Uh-uh. Yeah. I never got slapped in the face, but... Uh, I think you're doing okay without <laughs> a slap, Sam. I don't think you need to ask for one. Someone hit me. I, I need to shake out of my coma. You know, I just want to give a disclaimer out to all the kids watching this show right now, which is... 
don't throw yourself in front of a cement truck. Yeah, that's it not, doesn't always turn out this successfully. No, that's not how you should do it. That is, that is not the reason for your success. <laughs> well, maybe. Uh, but shoot for a smaller truck, like a Toyota. Yeah. Yeah, they're, just they're break, tiny. Just your toe. Yeah, yeah, just throw one leg underneath. You don't that's have to go terrible. full body. Um, or as you would say, stupid. That's stupid. stupid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that whole, that uh, whole disclaimer was stupid. Stupid. That's like no, a, just it, a vocal tick that I have. It is. I almost named the special that, but then I didn't. I knew all the like the dumb headlines would be like Adam Devine special. Stupid. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And you know. <laughs> now, do you do you have any lasting effects from it? Or are you pretty much all healed? Uh, yeah. I mean, my legs hurt a lot. They do. Yeah, to my this knees day. hurt. Like that's why I keep adjusting on my seats and like doing this. A lot, just because it, it hurts to like sit for too long or like have my knees cross for too long. Or I'm sorry about that. I, I've kept you. I'm, I'm suffering for for you, Sam. No, I mean it, it's fine. It's just like I don't even like I don't even remember a time that they didn't hurt. So really? it's just like my life. It's you know. So it, I, it doesn't even. I, I don't even notice it. Right. Well, listen, it's fascinating to talk to you and to get to know you better. And yeah. I liked you when I met you, and thanks for coming and no sharing problem. the whole thing with me. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Yeah. I had a good time, man. Thanks for doing it. Oh, yeah, thank you. Hey folks, that's our show. Hope you enjoyed that. I really enjoyed digging into Adam's work because I hadn't seen a lot of workaholics and I hadn't seen his stand-up. And I think he's got this amazing talent of turning his brain inside out and letting you see how everything works. And after hearing his backstory, it's really interesting to put all the pieces of Adam Devine together. So if you haven't seen it, check out Best Time of Our Lives on Netflix. And then see the hilarious HBO show that he's in with Danny McBride called The Righteous Gemstones. And check out his new film about cell phone addiction, Jexy. And don't forget to check out offcamera.com. If you're new to the whole off-camera world, we've been doing this a while now. And you can find our entire archive online at offcamera.com. As you may know, we are also a television show. And you can see us every week on the Audience Network on DirecTV's channel 239. You can also find us on AT&T UVerse. If you don't have DirecTV, you can see the television show by getting our monthly television subscription, which is available at offcamera.com. For $4.99 a month, you can have access to over 200 episodes of the show to watch anytime on any device of your choosing as many times as you like. It's a great way to support the show, and it's a great way to see these conversations that you've been hearing. Now, if you're loving this podcast, and I hope you are, and you haven't subscribed yet to the podcast, well, that's easy and it's free. And by subscribing, you can make sure you never miss another episode. The way you do that is go to Apple or wherever you get your podcasts, hit the subscribe button, and while you're there, take a minute, give us a rating, give us a review, because that helps other people find the show. So no matter how you're enjoying the show, I'm glad you're here. I appreciate you listening, and I'm excited to bring this show to you each week. You can find us on social media. We are Off Camera Show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I am Sam Jones on Twitter and Sam Jones Pictures on Instagram. As many of you know, I'm also a photographer, and if you look at my Instagram page, you can see all of the behind-the-scenes photos from this show, and we do a portrait session with everyone that comes in, and we create a magazine cover and do all sorts of interesting things with the photographs. So check out the Instagram page, that's Sam Jones Pictures, and you can dive deeper into off-camera. I want to thank everyone that helps us on this show each week, Nathan Shields, Crawford Shippey, Michaela Galvin, Sasha Snow, and Kara Johnson. These folks work really hard. You know, it's not easy to put out a show each week, and we could not do it without the fine, talented people that work in this office. And most of all, thank you for tuning in each week. I'll keep making the show as long as you keep listening. And if you're loving what we're doing, take a minute, tell your friends. You can tell them on social media. You can tell them in person. But spread the word of off-camera. And if you have anything you want to tell me, be it a guest suggestion or some advice, or if you're needing a question answered, you can always send me an email. I'm Sam at offcamera.com. See you next time, off camera.